So today I'm going to read our passage. We're in a series called Signs, and it's a walk through John, and John mentions there's several signs that Jesus showed us to show us who he was. So one of those today we get to learn about, and it's in John 2, 1 through 11. It says this, on the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. They filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn it, drawn the water, knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs. Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, they went to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. So I want to look at what's the purpose of a sign. Why are signs there? Scott mentioned this last week, and we're going to continue on with it. The first purpose of a sign is simply a demonstration that proves that Jesus was who he said he was. So as John mentions these signs, we need to pay attention because we need to see it's Jesus showing who he is, namely the Son of God. So as we watch for these signs, don't miss. It's not necessarily about water turning into wine. That is part of it, and there was a lot of amazing things there. The first part is, are we recognizing that Jesus is proclaiming that he's the Son of God? The second part of the sign is something that points us in the right direction to get us to the right destination. So I was preparing for this. I remembered that I had taken a picture years ago of this funny sign, and I knew I had posted it on Facebook. So I went onto Facebook, and I'm scrolling through all my pictures years and years, and what I came to realize is that I'm kind of a sign nerd. I love taking pictures of signs that are either funny to me or confusing, and I found a lot of them. So we're going to go through a journey of some of the signs. If you want to find them, there are all these. I've taken all of these. Let's see the first one. So this one just made me laugh because I thought, I don't want to get my cash out to receive only six cent discount. I mean, $20, $25 worth of gas, I saved six cents, right? Like, this was kind of a pointless sign. I'm thinking, that's not really a great savings. So that's our second one. So this was at work. I used to do night shift, a second job at UPS. And this was posted on the board there. And at first I was thinking, oh, that's kind of cool. Like, we all got quarterly burritos. This was a safety sign. So the bottom part there says, want even more food? If we go over 3,816 days without an injury, quick math in the room, like years, like it's over 10 years. <laughs> I'm hoping that most of us don't still work here, let alone to get a barbecue. Like, so that was pretty funny. Next one. This one, you can read either two ways. So apartment parking, there should be a period, 
violators will be towed, right? Like you can only park here if you're for the, for the, for the apartment parking. Or it says apartment parking violators will be towed. Confusing signs. Sometimes signs will throw us off. Go to the next one. Who knows where this is? This is... Thank you. Someone knew where it was. This is one of the rides to Elitches. I just thought it was funny. You're not allowed to read their private sign. Okay. Go ahead. This was our road trip to California. This is 2011, a long time ago, where basic gas was $4.99 a gallon. Let's hope we don't ever get back there. Go to the next one. Who knows where this is? Someone got Ikea. Yep, this used to be their big sign. And this, I mean, hot dogs, 50 cents, who cares? The bottom was the funny part. I mean, this is like as big as Ikea itself. And it said not actual size. And I thought, that person deserves for me to take a picture of their sign. Go ahead. This is heaven. This will be one of the signs when we get to heaven. The next one. That's In-N-Out Burger, which is coming. This is the sign I was looking for. So somehow you're not allowed to park directly in between those two signs right at that tree. I don't know how you'd fit your car there anyways. Go ahead. This was, uh, Alicia and I were in New York, and we were looking for one of these trains. I don't remember if it was the R train or which one. This is down in the subway system. And I thought it was perfect because I walked up to this, looked up, and thought, it's telling me to go both ways. Because if you look on the right, it's telling me to go left. And if you look on the left, it's telling me to go right. It's the same exact trains, and then somehow I'm just supposed to stand in the middle, and I'm, I've arrived. So, <laughs> next one. Oh, this one's great. This is from our trip to Israel just a couple weeks ago. So I found this one, and I was talking to our, our guide. We had a guide who had been guiding in Israel for, I think it was 40, over 40 years. And I asked him, I said, I see this sign everywhere, and I think I figured out what the translation in Hebrew must be. And he was like, he's kind of a jokester. So I said, this is what the translation must be. Whenever you see the sign, it means long lines ahead. Because whenever we saw this sign, those, the, the one with the man was always short. There was no lines there. But for some reason, this sign, it was long. So our last sign, more serious one. This was also in Israel. And this, this sign showed us where Christ walked with his cross. The Via Dolorosa. Where he took the cross on his back and we followed this journey with him. Well, he wasn't with us. I mean, he was. but And this was the way where he took his cross to be, to be killed, to choose to lay down his life. So signs can be very important. Obviously, some of those were very silly. But sometimes signs can be very serious. So if you think that today's lesson is simply about getting drunk, and this was a reason that Jesus wrote down where you can just party it up and have fun, you'd be totally wrong. If you think that this sign that Jesus did of turning this water into wine was an excuse to celebrate, to stop mundane of life, to celebrate and party and enjoy life, well, you'd be right. But if you think that it's only about the party and that was it, then you'd be wrong again. So what I want to look at first is why was this first miracle performed? Why did Jesus choose this time? And really, why did God the Father choose this time and instruct Jesus for this to be his first sign? So I've got some videos and pictures while we were in Israel. Um, I actually stole a great video of Terry. So if we could play that video. 
Hi, we're here in Cana, and this is the church um, where Jesus attended a wedding feast, and they ran out of wine, and his mom implored him to do it, to help, and Jesus turned the, wa the water into wine. This was actually his very first miracle that he performed, and you can read about it in John 2. Give Terry a hand. Nicely done. She didn't know I was going to be using that, but it worked perfectly. So let's see some of the pictures. I took a couple of pictures while I was there just because I wanted to get a feel. What I really want to do is give you some background. So this church they built in the area of Cana, and it's the front of it. You walk in kind of to the left, and then you go downstairs. Let's see that second one. This is kind of downstairs in this church. They've gone and they've excavated, and through archaeological digs, they found this area. So they have it walled off. You can kind of see the white that's behind there. A lot of people, it's just tradition. Um, they were telling us, especially in the Catholic Church, they come and they write little prayers, and then they would leave them at some of the different spots where Jesus, where they think that Jesus was. Obviously, they don't know exactly where he was, but this is the region where it was. And then the third one's going to be our water jug, one that they found, and it's just obviously buried, dug out through the middle. Uh, most likely limestone, because it was easy to carve. This is a jar very similar to the one who knows, maybe it was the one. That'd be kind of cool. Someday we'll find out. But why was this the miracle that was performed? So this is the area of Cana. It's a very small region in Israel. It wasn't very big. Um, if you walked by it, you, you probably wouldn't have even noticed that that's where you were. Um, what I want us to catch a few things at this beginning of this story is when Mary tells Jesus to perform the miracle, one of his responses was, my time has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. So I want us to remember that as we keep going because part of the story has to do with that. The real reason that Jesus performed this miracle and what I want you to grasp wasn't not to be showy or to show off or anything like that. In fact, most people didn't know that it was Jesus who had done it. It mentions that in the text. So the two things, the reasons why he performed this were first to manifest his glory. If you're taking notes, that's your first one. That's the reason that he was doing this. He wanted to show how powerful he was. And why was that the second part? So that others would believe in him. He wanted to be able to show his glory, who he was, God here on earth, to do the miraculous. And that others would believe in him. It says at the end, the disciples believed in him. What we need to realize, this is Jesus' first week of ministry. So Jesus gets baptized, he starts his ministry, and this is where John's starting. So this is within the first week. Some say three days, some say six days. I don't think it matters. The first week of ministry, and he's going. So 30 years of Jesus' life up until this point, he's been living, and he was just doing life. How many of you today are struggling with the mundane of day after day, is this all there is? That's me. What I want you to see is that for 30 years, Jesus did that. We don't know what happened to Joseph. Jesus' stepfather's father, but he's not here at this point. So we assume at some point as Jesus is growing up that he passes away. So then Jesus being the oldest in his family, it's his job to take care of all those brothers and sisters that he had. I'd love to meet the Jesus of that time. There's not much written about it because that's the Jesus at times that I need to see. The one who faithfully worked and worked and raised kids to all the moms that are out there that are raising young kids right now. 
what you are doing is an amazing thing. It's so worth it. For those of you that are retired and you may not be working, and you just think, what am I supposed to be doing? This is an amazing time for you to be able to ask the Lord, Lord, what do I do in this? Kind of in this mundane, the, the world can become mundane at times. And what I want us to see is that Jesus is stepping into the ministry, the exciting part, right? But I don't think that's what it was to him. I think those early years were the exciting part where he's teaching and training some of his younger siblings. So Mary was onto something. She knew who he was. And Mary comes and says, I want you to do this miracle. And Jesus says, but my hour has not yet come. So why did Mary care that they ran out of wine? Why did it matter to her? What I want us to do is I want us to reread this portion just because I want you to see Mary's care for others. See it as a loving person who knew this family well. That's why she was there. They lived in, um, Gal or in Nazareth, which wasn't too far. I mean, it's probably a day's walk. Um, so it wasn't very far, but they knew this family. They were there at the wedding to celebrate with them. And I want you to hear Mary's compassion as she says this. When they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. So Mary, in a lot of ways, it feels like she's kind of prompting Jesus before he's ready. But Mary knew the power that Jesus had. She hadn't seen the miracles yet, but she knew that it was there. But in a neat way, Mary's also submitting herself to Jesus in this moment. She wasn't forcing it. She simply said to the servants that were there, do what he says to do. And if Jesus had said nothing, then nothing would have happened. It wasn't a demand, but it was simply a, let's see if you want to do something. So to understand why this is important, we need to realize what would have happened to this family if Mary hadn't noticed or if the wine really had run out. So I did a lot of studying around what did a wedding, what was the wedding culture kind of like then? Well, weddings at that point could last three to seven days. So a lot of times in our Western culture, the bride is the one who's kind of put in the forefront and it's all about like, see the bride. In this culture, it was a little bit different. It was actually the bridegroom who was put in front and the families would go slowly through town, stopping at everybody's house after the wedding so that they could celebrate with them. And then they would go to the next house and they would celebrate. And then eventually you'd come back to the bridegroom's house. You'd come back to his house. And there would be a party. There would be a celebration. So they would have wine. They would have everything. Well, if you had gone to a family's wedding the year before and they had plenty of wine and nothing ran out and you were doing just fine, but then they came to your wedding and the wine ran out, it was actually could be a civil offense. You could be sued because you ran out of wine. Another piece that we need to realize is why was the wine so important? Sometimes in our culture, we lose the significance of what the wine meant to them because of alcoholism and how much damage there has been. But in this culture, wine was joy. And as you read through a lot of old Hebrew texts, wherever there was wine, there was joy. And this was the greatest wine that was ever made. I wish that I could taste, I actually don't really like wine at all. I wish I could have tasted this wine because the creator of earth itself is the one who created this wine. Like it's an understatement of understatements when the guy comes and says, well, you've served the best, you've waited and you served the last, like the best for last. Like, yeah, like that was God who made it. So I hope that it would taste good. Like, 
So one of the things that I want us to remember is that to run out of that wine would have been shame. This family would have lived with shame is the next part. Because like I said, you could be sued. That would be part of it. But a lot of it would be more the story. Hey, remember when, a year later, remember when you ran out of wine and the joy ran out on your wedding. And people would have just talked and talked. Instead of that, what Jesus did in doing this miracle and why Mary was so urgent to tell him that is that instead of that, they would have now been honored by the community. Remember what happened, the miracle that happened there. A lot of people didn't know they had ran out of wine, which is God's grace, right? We sang about it in the hymn, All I Have Needed, Thy Hand Hath Provided. How many of you ever run out? How many of us have ever been at that place where there's no more? That happened to our family. I've shared the story, but it's worth repeating because we got to the place where we had no more. Literally every penny was out. We had no room on credit cards. We had spent the last dollar that we had on credit cards buying groceries, toilet paper, all the needed things. And we came to the end. And I was scared. And Alicia, her prayer that night was, God, you've given us all these kids. We were about to have our sixth child. You've given us all these kids. What we don't need is the fancy car, the nice things. But what we do need is food for our children. Our wine had ran out, and there was no joy. And the amazing part is that much like this story God provided, the next day, some family friends walked in with two giant casseroles. We hadn't told a soul that this was happening to us. We hadn't told anybody. And God gave us an abundance, because one was enough for our family. But he gave us two, and then they didn't stop. They kept coming. She said, well, I bought you some groceries as well. So she goes out to the car, and bag after bag after bag, $300 at least worth of groceries, toilet paper, all the things we had bought the day before. God was giving us an abundance when we didn't deserve it. He was. So what does Jesus do? He takes these water jars, and there's six of them, 20 to 30 gallons in each. He makes as much as 180 gallons of wine for this small community. He wasn't like... Here's a little bit to get you through these last couple days. They would have had wine for so long because he's a God of abundance. When he chose to come and meet them, he wanted them to see a sign, like not just a little. When we had to step out in faith and say, God, you're going to provide for our family, he showed up for us. He showed up and said, I'm going to give you an abundance because that's the God that I am. When When we cry out in desperation, I believe that God shows up. And not to give away something that's coming in the future, but as you watch for these other signs, there's a spoiler alert. This is probably going to happen again. Think bread and fish and multiplication, some other stuff that may be coming down the line. God was a God of abundance. He chose to honor this family in a powerful way. The next thing, why were the stone jars what Jesus chose to use? As I was really preparing for this, I really wanted I really wanted to dig into it. I had heard this story, I don't know how many times. But the reality is, is it's like, why did you choose this, God? It was very confusing to me why the first miracle, it wasn't some miraculous healing or something else, but it was 
to me, what seemed very casual to keep a party going in a way. So what was the purpose of these stone jars and why would Jesus choose to use them? So the stone jars were used for ritual, physical cleansing. That's what it says here in the scripture as we were reading. It says that they were used for ritual cleansing. Um, Scott put this picture up last week kind of to show just part of the trip, of the Israel trip. Let's put that picture up. I want you guys to see. This is us in Israel. This, that's the, the western wall of the Temple Mount. But in the background, right behind all of us, you can see the man dressed in all black, and there's kind of the, the water basin there. Um, and what this was is this is a place of ritual cleansing. So they come to this place, and they wash their hands. They come either before or after, or some of them do it both. And there's usually a little copper cup, and they fill up the copper cup, and then they pour it over their hands. And they usually, Some do it twice, some do it three times. It's a ritual thing where they're pouring the water over. And what this is, the idea is you didn't want to dunk your hands in water that's been stagnant. So if there's like a basin with water, you wouldn't want to dunk them because that water isn't living. It's not moving. So some of us have heard that term living water, and part of what that is is moving water. So they take this cup and they pour it over their hands. And a lot of people have studied, why in the world would you do this? Because just water doesn't really help get your hands clean, right? Well, a lot of this wasn't necessarily for the physical, but there was a ritual and a spiritualistic cleansing that they were looking for. One of the amazing things that we got to experience while we were in Israel is one of the nights, it was Friday night, the second one we were there, we got to join the families. This is their Sabbath night. So once Friday night hits, the sun goes down. That's where their Sabbath starts, where they just rest. And they do a big meal that night called the Shabbat dinner. And we got to go and be a part of this dinner. But one of the things that started with it was, and he told us we didn't have to if we didn't want to, but they had us go and, and ritually cleanse our hands before they broke the bread. So we went to the sink, grabbed the cup, and you poured it over. So as I was studying this, there's actually studies that have proved that even doing that, your hands do become much cleaner physically than if you weren't to do it. And it's not as good with soap and water, so this is not an excuse to not use soap, because we've learned in advances that that really does help. But this was a really cool thing to learn, is this living water getting poured out. And you guys have heard, like Jesus claims, like, I'm the living water. He came to us to cleanse us. So we can see this parallel in this thing. There was also these cool, um, in almost all the places we went to, wherever they were doing these digs, there was these baptismals, and they called them mikvahs. And the mikvah was something that you would walk down into, and you'd dunk and rinse, and then you'd come back up. So when Jesus instituted baptism, when we see that, it's not a new concept for them. This is something that they were very used to. And our guide even said a lot of people in his synagogue do it every day. They go down and they do this ritual bath, this ritual bath. And it's that idea of dying to themselves. It's very similar to our baptism. Dying to themselves, being cleansed, and then coming back out. Um, so this is a, a ritual and physical cleansing. The second part that I want to show you in this is that it wasn't just about water and wine. But Jesus was doing something here that's pretty amazing. He was foreshadowing how his blood would be used for cleansing. That's in your notes there. He was foreshadowing how his blood would be used for cleansing. The wine and the blood, as we'll keep that in mind as we're thinking through, remember that Jesus used the wine to represent his blood. 
We find that in John 13. John 13, 1 through 3. He says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already poured it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper, and he laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, tied it around his waist, and that's when he began to wash their feet. So remember, John at the beginning said his time had not come. And this is where we move to the middle part of the story. It was the day before Jesus died. But he knew that his time had come. He knew that it was coming. And what did he choose to do in that moment? This is powerful. He chose to still serve. I want us to catch that today. That Christ has called us to serve. Jesus knew his time was up. And he did one of the most powerful acts of service of all time. God of the universe knelt down between 12 men who had become his friends, and he washed their dirty, nasty feet, including Judas, who just moments later would get up, leave, and go to betray him. Jesus knew, I can't even imagine how long he spent with Judas, knowing that he was going to betray him. Mercy upon mercy upon mercy. Then we see Jesus on the cross. This is the second time that we see Mary. This is John 19, 26. It says, when Jesus saw his mother, so we see her at the wedding, and we actually don't, John doesn't record her again until this point, and I think there's some significance in that. Not because he didn't want to include her, but we see her there, and then this is the, this is the next time that we see it. Because when Jesus had saw his mother, the disciple whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, this is John, Behold your mother. And from that hour, Jesus took her into his own. So sometimes people read that initial text and they think, what was, was Jesus being rude? Like what was the, when he said woman? You can see there was really a term of endearment here because he uses the same word both places. So sometimes we can hear that and it sounds very abrupt or something like that. But this was Jesus handing over his very mom into the hands of one of his best friends saying, please take care of her. She's going to be here because in just a few moments, I'm going to give up my life. And this is where his blood became our cleansing. So he was showing it to the disciples then because he wanted them to see a sign. So he takes this water that are in his purification jars that were used, I mean, it was daily use for them, where they would purify their hands and remember, like, man, God, I need you. I need you to cleanse me. And that's the jugs that he used later to foreshadow what was going to happen later. Fill up those water with water, and I'm going to turn that into wine, which then obviously he ties in. At the Last Supper, Jesus said that. He said, this wine represents my blood and all that I've done for you one of the things that I want us to be able to relate to is there's some questions around what do we do with this wine thing? Was it just something for their culture? So I really want to look at how should we relate to the reality that Jesus turned water into wine? Because I don't want to gloss over that because I know my family was 
hurt deeply by, by alcoholism. And I know many of, the, many of us in this room, that's probably the story. Um, so there's a couple things that we want to practically look at in this because it's not just licensed to go get drunk. That's not the point of this. Like Jesus wasn't turning this into this water and wine so that they could just go get drunk. It was, there were several reasons. But the first one is that. I'm going to put that up on the board. Scripture is very clear to not get drunk. There is liberty to drink. There's lots of places where the Bible calls and in a lot of ways encourages moderate use of alcohol. Some of those were times of celebration um, at the Lord's Supper for medicinal purposes. Paul at one point tells Timothy like he had some stomach issues going on, so he told him a little bit of wine would be helpful. A lot of times they use wine in worship. Mentioned earlier that wine was attributed to joy. A full cup of wine to the Jewish people was joy. Like that's what they were equating it to. Times of thanksgiving to God, times of happiness. So even though, even though there were people in Jesus' day who overdrank and were alcoholics, Jesus still chose at times to drink wine. And Paul says that only a demon would compel Bible teachers to forbid things that God made good. That's in Timothy, 1 Timothy 4. But there needs to be a way to be able to do this and glorify God still, right? So that's the second part of this, is we want to make sure that we don't make others stumble. There's a couple great verses for that. The first is Romans 14. And it says, Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. And the next one's 1 Corinthians 10, 31. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I say, I try to please everyone, every, I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage. So there's two ways to look at this. One is, the Bible says don't drink and let anyone stumble, and there's a rule that's in place and you shouldn't do it. And that is one way you can look at it. Another way to look at this is, the Bible says that you shouldn't have anyone stumble, so maybe it's a choice that you give. When you know you're going to be around someone, say at a home group event, if there's someone that's struggling or has struggled with alcohol in the past, probably not wise to be passing the wine bottle around because you may not know. But we have freedom. What I want us to look at in this is we have freedom to be generous versus being robbed. When you feel like there's a law or there's something being held from you, it's kind of being robbed away from you, it's way different than saying, I want to be generous, and my gift to you is that I'm not going to drink around you. But in our homes, in places where, where we're not going to drink to excess, there is some liberty there. And I understand there's tension, and I'm okay with that. For those of you that are struggling saying, well, I don't think we should ever drink, I'm okay with there being tension here because I don't want to miss what Jesus is teaching here. Sometimes we add rules to what he has. But let's not forget that this story is not about the wine. It's not about a party. It's not about any of that. This story is that first sign of Jesus saying, I'm going to make my power known. And he didn't do it in a flashy way. It's one of the beautiful parts of this story because it could have. I would have. That's why God doesn't give me those powers, because I, like, I, I would want to show off with it. Like, look what I can do. 
Jesus did it in secret. He told a few servants. He said, go do this. The groom didn't even know who had done it. How beautiful is that? That idea of we're going to serve. And when we're going to serve, we're not going to let other people know. But we're going to serve. He wanted to show how powerful he was. Those that knew would have been amazed. One of the things that I want us to remember is that Scott mentioned it last week. Those people saw what Jesus did and they were amazed, and that's neat. But the encouragement to us is, blessed are those who believe who have not seen. And that's us today. We get a chance to believe these stories as we're moving through this series and really trust in that. Because remember, this was a foreshadow. Jesus was really wanting them to see. I, I want to know when it clicked for him. Like, how many years after? <laughs> when they're like, oh, that's why he did this. Because he didn't come out and say it. But he uses these, these big jars that were there for purification. Turns it into wine. And later turns and says, this wine is my blood. Let's remember today, church, what Jesus has done for us. Because those are the last two things that are important. One, it was to manifest his glory. It was so that others would know who Jesus was. May everything that I do in my life, all the little things, there's lots of miracles. When I don't yell at my kids, and they deserve it. For me, that's a miracle. <laughs> Sometimes when I do the right thing at work, when I am desperately tempted to not do it, that's a little miracle for me. And my hope is that more and more as I do that and everything that I do and my life is purposeful that I'm pushing it off and I'm saying, Lord, I want you to be glorified. I want you to be manifested, your glory to be manifested through me. And then the second part is that others would recognize the signs and they would believe in him. That's the reason that we serve to me. That's the reason that Jesus showed up in this moment and did something really miraculous. He took that shame that would have come to this family and he flipped it around and he gave them such honor where they would have been the talk of the town. He did that so that others would believe in him. So what are those areas of your life where you know you need to serve? Who needs you this week to show up and to love them? Could be a phone call. Could be an act of service, cleaning someone's house. Our, I love our home group. Our home group was able to go and, and help Mark Brown pick on him a little bit, but it's more to boast on our home group. Uh, he just had surgery, and a bunch of people came over and just blessed him. Mark, I'm guessing that was a huge blessing for you. So what is it? What are those little things that we can do like what Jesus did? Because this wasn't, to me, I mean, it's an amazing sign, but it wasn't flashy, it wasn't showy, and I think that that's part of what we need to see in this as well. Yeah, let me close this in prayer. Father, thank you for this message. Thank you for the fact that you do work miracles. I pray for those who need miracles in their life this week, that you will show up, that they will have the humility, that I will have the humility to show up in dependence on you because I don't want to trust in chariots. I don't want to trust in horses. I want to trust in the name of my God to deliver me this week when I need it, to deliver this church when we need it this week. Give us eyes to hear, eyes to hear, eyes to see and ears to hear. What needs to happen this week 
in this community, Lord? Who are the people that we're gonna come across this week that need you? May we have the humility and the boldness to show you to them that the things that we do will glorify you because we're gonna run into so many hurting people this week who desperately need you and are we gonna be a people that model that, that model humility, that model the, the desperateness for you. Father, I pray that you, you burden all of us this week to dig into your word, to resource ourselves in you instead of our well-worn paths that we've gone down for years. May that not be the truth anymore, that we'll come to that well, that fresh, living, brand new water that you wanna give us every day, that will sustain us, that will restore us, that will give us strength to fight for those that need to be fought for, to love those that need to be loved. Burden our hearts to seek you, to love you with everything that we've got and to love those that we come across. I thank you that you are a God of miracles. And I pray that there are miracles this week that we will be aware enough to realize that they're happening. Thank you that we get to be miracle workers at times. That you used other families to be miracles in my life. You didn't just stay far away, but you said, come and join me in this journey. Walk with me. Show us your miracles this week. Show us your signs. Not just to see signs, but that we can see you. We can see your power and your grace that never ends. I magnify you, Lord. I lift you up. People see me, they will see you. They'll stop taking some of the attention away from that. In Jesus' name I pray.